Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Duke Show. I am Dr. Duke, and I am joined today by Father Robert McTagg, SJ, Society of Jesus, host of the Catholic Current at the Station of the Cross. Father McTagg, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, glad to be helping with your good work, Doctor. Yeah, I've been on, uh, very fortunate to be on your show a few times. You have a wonderful program. I really urge you to, uh, people to find it. And at the end, I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell them where they can find you again, Father, sure. because uh, you're, what you're doing here, I think, is really remarkable. And I, I, uh, as somebody who went, has 20, 20 years of Catholic school in my background, from kindergarten all the way through my first master's degree, uh, it is really nice mm -hmm. to talk to uh, somebody of your intellectual stature. So uh, the Pretty question true. for today is going to be, uh, something that I've been very interested in. Uh, theology in the West and philosophy, the philosophy of religion, particularly from Christians and, and ministers and, the, and, and cler uh, cler clergymen, has for a long time been deeply dedicated to defending the Gospels, defending the, the teachings and the life of Christ against other traditions. But something really went wrong. I, I don't know if you want to go all the way back to the liberation theology periods of the 50s and 60s, or maybe it happened even sooner, but when was it? When our, it, it, It's one thing for critical, critics of the, of the uh, faith, agnostics, atheists. I get why they do what they do, but why are so many Christian uh, thinkers embarrassed seemingly by the truths of the gospel? Well, you know, this is actually an earlier development than most people realize. And, you know, we could go all the way back to the, to the Garden of Adam and Eve, but let, let's go back to the 1890s, Pope Leo XIII. Now, this is when uh, Marxism is beginning to emerge. This is after Darwinism, Darwinism is beginning to emerge. It's 100 years after the French Revolution. Things are not looking good for the home team. And Leo XIII writes an encyclical called Eterni Patris, which in its translation is often referred to as the restoration of Christian philosophy to our schools. And he says that the bedrock of the philosophical approach, which should become the foundation of theology, is Thomas Aquinas. And there was a, a great revival of Thomistic studies. You jump ahead uh, a few years, and then we're uh, Pope St. Pius X sounding the alarm about modernism. He's got the oath against modernism. And what he's warning against in a lot of ways is the aftermath of the French Revolution uh, more sickened by uh, German university life. Now let's go back to Leo Thirteenth, the 1890s, Attorney Patris, and then jump ahead a hundred years to John Paul II, Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. In the, the modern era, Leo Thirteenth is warning, uh, he's trying to defend the legitimacy of faith that if you are a believing Christian, that doesn't mean that you're stupid. A hundred years later, in our postmodern era, John Paul is defending the legitimacy of reason, because postmodernism tells we're so done with reason, we're so done with system building. So there, we've been on a downward trajectory for about a uh, hundred years. I think that the seeds of it are in the aftermath of of German uh, of French of uh, the French Revolution and the mischief of a lot of German philosophy. It's really interesting. I when I read the Gospels, um, and this is a, a criticism I've heard my whole life and seen it. I mean, uh, when I mm. uh, when I 
found the Gospels. It wasn't through, unfortunately, the church. It wasn't through uh, CY, my, my Sunday school courses. It was outside in many ways of my Catholic education when I came to the Gospels. And when I read them from beginning to end and began to study them, even in, in you know, alter, alt, other languages uh, to see how the translations worked, one thing that always struck me is whether you were coming at it from a highly philosophical, highly intellectual uh, perspective, or you had very little education, you weren't a scholar, it seems like the basic truths that Christ is, is laying out, that you know, pre-shadowed in the Old Testament, looking forward, mm -hmm. they seemed that they were intellectually comprehensible and coherent. You didn't yes. need college degrees, and you, you could have been somebody who was just a laborer, and yet, uh, why, have we, why in this day and age, so if we've begun to move beyond reason, there seems to be emotional and, and intuitive ways that postmodernism seems to lean towards uh, that still aren't catching the eye of people when it comes to teaching the faith. Right. Well, you know, uh, my late great mentor, Paul Weiss, said that philosophers let theories get in the way of what they and everyone else know. You know, uh, I'm going to be an absolute skeptic. Please hear all about it. Come to my lecture at the at the auditorium at 3 p.m. Please RSVP. There will be valet parking. Well, that's nonsense. That that's that's absolute nonsense. I think what we've seen in the modern era is we have uh, the academic system and the cultural system has been hijacked to uh, facilitate loose bad morals. You know. Uh, You've got a lot of people with, with PhDs who are very wicked people uh, who come up with these theories so that they can violate the Six Commandments in ever more uh, creative ways. Um, and I think that we, you know, St. Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, talked about pride, riches, and honors. Uh, the Jesuit Edward Gannon was writing gosh, the beginning, of, he was writing about the beginning of the 20th century. He said the worst thing that ever happened to Catholic education in America was World War One. Why? Because the federal government wanted access to all those university students who are almost always male, and then were also good, uh, they, they were good officer candidates. And the federal government says, we will give you dump trucks of money if you let us influence higher education. And he said after World War I, we've never really quite recovered from that. And I think he was spot on. Ignatius Press republished the book. It's called The Poor Old Liberal Arts. I very much recommend it to your audience. I am really glad you said that. I had, was unaware of the World War I connection. That is a really interesting, it's really fascinating. And go to back to your, your starting point there in that little segment. Uh, somebody, some wag once wrote, I can't, I don't know who it was, so I can't give them a attribution. Somebody wrote, I'm an English professor, as you know, uh, that English professors are not paid to be correct. They're paid to be trendy or critical or uh, uh, surprising. And I think that applies to what you just said about the, the theologians as well, that sometimes the old truths just aren't ritzy enough, that, that you can't sure. make a new, you can't carve out a new space standing on the shoulders of giants. You have to say something radically uh, different and oftentimes stu even stupid, the theoretical stuff right. that you hear. And so you have these odd things happening, right, in, 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 our, in our religious life where yes. um, th there's, a, there's a video I, I, I'll send you after we're done. It's a uh, 
Protestant minister in California who's arguing in a very short clip that Jesus was transsexual. Uh, yes. Jesus was transsexual because uh, uh, he talks about he is the mother chicken calling home the, the mother hen calling home the chickens. And so this, this minister wearing, of course, a rainbow sash, right, says, there's your absolute proof that Jesus was a woman, not just a man. And hence, in his words, quote, transgenderism is holy. I, I, when I was an undergrad, I was, I was a junior at the Catholic University of America, and a priest of my acquaintance told the story that happened to him when he was a new priest. You're standing outside the parish, and people are shaking hands and saying, nice homily, Father. And this old man emerged from the crowd and thumped him in the chest and grabbed him by the lapels and said, remember, Father, novelty is the lust of the theologian. Mm -hmm. And then he just disappeared into the crowd. Beautiful. You know, and, and my book, Real Philosophy for Real People, uh, McTagg's axiom states that most institutions would rather die than ever admit we made a mistake. McTagg's corollary states most people haven't matured past the age of 15 and are still desperate to be invited to sit at the cool kids' table at the high school cafeteria. If you're preaching really robust, orthodox Catholicism, Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and returning, you'll never be invited to the Gobert Show or The View. Maybe Bill Maher will make a snarky remark about you, and who could live like that? Yeah. We well, want to be like, we want, the, we want the gold coin from Caesar, and we want the applause of the court jesters. And again, not being a theologian, I remember distinctly Christ saying, right, you don't live for this world, you live for the next. Right. next. We, I have a really fantastic producer here, and in the, in the short time we've been talking, he's got that video. Let's just show your, your readers, sure. your viewers, our viewers, what we were talking about. Drag is holy. There has been an assault on the rights of drag performers in this country, and we must call out the hypocrisy and the injustice. Jesus called himself a mother hen longing to gather up her chicks. Gender is a construct, you see. And if Jesus can be a mother hen, then you can dress in drag. I've even heard it said that Jesus was, and humanity is, God in drag. So let me say this again for those of you in the back. Drag is holy. My goodness. And so, but does that mean literally, Father, that Jesus is a vine? Right? Is that what that means? <laughs> that Jesus is crawling around in the dirt somewhere, no, seeking no, sunlight? Yeah, this is someone who's incapable of metaphor. Uh, look, a basic axiom of scriptural interpretation is text without context is pretext or proof text. Mm. You know, you can flip open the Bible and say, you know, Jesus went out and hung himself, and then open the Bible again and say, Jesus said, go now and do likewise. No, you don't mean it that way. Of course not. That's just, that's just nonsense. And yes, gender is a construct. Sex is not. Right. Okay? We really are gender binary, we really are male or female, and the church knew itself to be not only the guardian of the deposit of faith, but the champion of the natural law. The really obvious things like do good, avoid evil, love your kids, don't eat grandma, male is male, male female is female, male and female are made for each other. This is another example of not only philosophers let theories get in the way of what they and everyone else know, but of theologians who should really know better and answer to a higher authority let trends get in the way of what they and everyone else knows.
Well, the, with the clip we just saw, I, I want to talk now a little bit about the various theories. And we talked about why right. theory is intervening itself, where dogma and faith should be. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. let's start with the obvious one we saw from the individual we just saw in that clip, social justice. I mean, uh, so, somebody once wrote famously about the Holy Roman Empire, that the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy, Roman, or an empire, beautiful. Right. I would argue, make, I make the same argument with my university kids, social justice is neither social nor justice, it is unjust. The minute you hyphenate justice, environmental justice, right, for instance, you are yeah. actually discriminating in the favor of what, you're not being just, you're, being, you're putting your scale on the, finger on the scale. Same thing right. with social, right. it's an, this is antisocial behavior. So let's talk about the social justice revolution theoretically, and I think this does go back at least until uh, through the liberation theology years, sure. but go ahead. Sure. Uh, well, look. Uh, first of all, every I, I kind of giggle a little bit when I hear social justice because justice is always social because it's 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 in terms of relationship. And when we talk about justice, we never talk about the rights of God first. So I would insist that we can't be just and we don't know what the good is of the common good until we know Christ. And sometimes social justice or the common good or working towards a more just society, all of which may be fine things, are distractions from the moral and doctrinal truths that have to be proclaimed and acknowledged so that we have the virtue to live justice justly, so that we have the virtue, the heart and the mind and the hands to work towards uh, a, a common good. So, you know, you've got to do something with your time. And if you're not going to preach Christ crucified, you know, then, then then do social justice. You know, if I'm preaching Christ crucified, eventually I'll have to call you to conversion. I might even have to confront my own sin. That's going to be a buzzkill for you and me. Oh, look, let's start a soup kitchen. All right. You know, there are people who think they're clever when they say, well, the best kept secret in the Catholic Church today is its social teaching, ha, ha, ha. No, that, that's simply not true. There was a time when Christians could look at people in need, even people they don't like, even people who hated them, and say, because of who God is and because of who you are to God, I choose to love and serve you. And by the way, let me tell you about Christ. We've, we've bleached all that out because ultimately Christ is an embarrassment. Christ on his terms, not ours, is an embarrassment. So we've reduced Christ to the status of a, of a mascot for our particular uh, uh, pet peeve or our particular pet project as seen the, the gentleman with the ridiculous rainbow stole. Yeah, I love the the, uh, the use of the word mascot there. I, I refer to it in my classrooms as beanie baby Jesus. That Jesus is okay yes. is if he's a stuffed animal on your dashboard and he hugs everybody and he wears sandals, he has the long yeah. hair, he probably would have smoked pot with you as, and hung out eating Doritos. That's the kind of Jesus that we accept right. today. And so to step back to that, when we talk about justice with a catch, capital J, as, as we have down for 2,000 years of Christianity, sure. that was a kind of justice by the the, just simply by the capitalizing the J that pointed back to God, that the recognition yes. that there is no justice without a world beyond materialism. My big problem with social justice, and I think it, it's, it squares very, very similar to what you said, is that it's, it's completely materialistic. It is not about, yes. God is uh, eliminated. There is no better world to get to. This is not a world we're mm -hmm. passing through. Because if this is a world mm -hmm. we're passing through to get to a perfect world, then by definition, you can't and never 
never will have social justice in the way the right. left, the progressive left wants it. So right. I, I want to follow up, follow up on this because I think this is going to further discussion. We have one right. more video from that same pastor uh, about what we should right. and should not affirm. So let's take a look at this. Okay. Because a lot of churches are open, right? You know, as long as you come and deny your sexuality or your gender identity, a lot of churches are open to that. Or they're open to you coming as long as you're not too vocal about who you are. Or they're open to you coming as long as you're not in any leadership positions. That is not enough to just be open. You also have to be affirming, right? To say you are welcome here and you are loved and affirmed and holy as you are. So uh, by that argument, sir, it doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter who you've murdered or who you've raped. You're affirmed and you are holy. Is, is that uh, what kind of, going back and you're a, a, a historian of the church and I want you to comment on the video, but I'd also like to ask you for my own benefit, what ancient heresy do you think that comes closest to in the modern world? Uh, oh, oh, it's it, Gnosticism for sure, nominalism. Look, this guy would be horrified if you asked to be affirmed in your racism and your inclination to club baby seals. Right. That just that is so. Yeah, he he's not nearly as tolerant as he thinks he is. And he look, he's just writing the 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 spirit of 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 the age. He wants to be like. He's heard the voice say, "All these kingdoms are mine." and they can be yours. All you have to do is worship me. And that guy is just throwing elbows to get to the front of the line so so he can cash in. Remember, justice is, first of all, rooted in, in the worship of God. That has to start. Uh, and, and number two, when, when, when we talk about, just, I'm, and I'm sure, doctor, you've seen this too, you're at a Novus Ordo Mass, the prayers of the faithful. Oh, Lord, now that we've identified another human need, in thy mercy, raise up a mighty federal program so that following our Lord's instructions to the disciples to collect money with the Roman sword and redistribute it after we take our cut. For, for for greater glory of God and social justice, in Jesus' name, amen. We've all heard variations of that. That's scarcely a caricature. We've outsourced the corporal works of mercy to the federal government because we've let our religious communities and our parishes collapse. Shame on us uh, for, for that. And we need to start with Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. That's the only way forward. Now, I am a, um, obviously a lay person, and so um, if I ask you a question that, want, that, that dares to take you in a place where uh, you find a conflict, please let me know, because the next question mm -hmm. I have, to, if two, my next two points of questioning here, well, first of all, why did Pope Francis, in your mind, uh, try to silence the Latin Mass? It seems to me, uh, and this is my lay take on it, um, among a lot mm -hmm. of other reasons, for the things that we're, I bring it up because it seems to be related to what we're talking about. The Latin Mass is a, a holdover from a different kind of Christianity, a different mm -hmm. time of theological and uh, philosophical understanding about Christianity. It doesn't seem to work. It's not inclusive, right? It doesn't speak to the Spanish-speaking immigrant. It doesn't speech speak to the unlettered uh, high school grad dropout. And so it seems to me that that I am connecting those two things, and maybe I shouldn't mm -hmm. be. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, you know, the, the, the Latin Mass spoke to everyone for 1,500 years, 
Uh, it spoke to the the very lettered and holy Thomas Aquinas. Uh, it spoke to uh, indigenous peoples in the Amazon who, at the prompting of Jesuits, uh, made symphony instruments that are still in use today and built basilicas in the Amazon jungle. All right. So the idea that it's you know it's only for the educated few. Well, well, surely Holy Mother Church and her charity has room even for the educated few. But it was for everyone. Now, on the face of it, uh, wh what Francis has said, what Cardinal Roach has said is, uh, there's been a different ecclesiology in place since 1965. So that thing that we used to have doesn't fit. And it's got to go. If that's right, then Benedict XVI and the hermeneutic of continuity is wrong. Another way to look at it that I've been told is, look, traditional liturgy leads to traditional spirituality, leads to traditional morality. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. And the real issue is to get rid of the traditional morality so that our friend with the rainbow can can feel at home that that is that is uh, another way of looking at it i agree with pope benedict that what was once holy can't be not holy now uh, that's exactly what i was thinking beneath my question I, brilliant for you thank you for clarifying that for me and sure, sure. we're we're running out of time and i i hope you will uh, you know, graciously come back because i think there's more Absolutely, of this we can of do course. okay because this is yeah. very illuminating and i know a lot of people are going to be interested in this and so in the time that we have left quick question uh, i always been fascinated by the the society of jesus uh, saint ignatius of Loyola of loyola is one of my heroes mm -hmm. i even dedicated my phd secular phd uh, thesis to ad majorum de glorium, right? I, it, the Thanks the motto that, of yeah. the Jesuits. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess this is a, a stark question. In to the modern mind, the Jesuits look like they've lost their mind vis-a-vis -vis, almost more than any other branch of Roman Catholicism. They seem to have lost their minds vis-a-vis -vis what we've been talking about—the traditional mm -hmm. gospel, the saving grace of Christ. There does seem to be a disproportionate number of Jesuit priests, uh, in go, starting with uh, our Pope, who do seem, at least on the surface, to be fair, more concerned about social justice than God's justice. What do you make of that? Well, I'll, the only Jesuit I'll, I'll speak for is myself, and, and I will add that the Society of Jesus is more than it's just media prominent members. There are a lot of unsung heroes living the spirituality of St. Ignatius Loyola for the greater glory of God, and they have been keeping the faith, and sadly, their work won't be known uh, in this life. That is unbelievable, yes. And so um, is it help a little bit further in the time that we have left. So this mm. is, would you say it's largely a media hyperbolic focus? Because the left-wing media would love any aspect of the Roman Catholic Church to seem to be sure. more secular and progressive than traditional. So is it right. the media? Because I've heard this about uh, Pope Francis as well, that what he says is clumsy and it's sensational, but it's not what he really means. Can you help us who are looking at this without your perspective to understand? Well, yeah, the, the, the secular media is never ever the church's friend. And we'll take the good and make it look bad and take the bad and make it look worse. And we have to look at it from that perspective. Okay, very interesting. Uh, so good. I mean, uh, uh, we got what time for one more comment from you. Tell me one sure. thing you're very optimistic about with regards to uh, traditional Catholic, Catholic values that you see, whether in the world today or in the church today. 
It's been my very great fortune to meet a faithful remnant in these very difficult times who uh, want the gospel, want the sacraments, want to live the message of, of Our Lady of Fatima, and they've been enormously kind and encouraging to me. That gives me hope. Father Robert Mateg, you found me, and uh, I was so grateful that you did. Uh, these kind of conversations, as, a, as somebody who has grown up Catholic and has serious doubts, not about the faith or the sacraments, right. but uh, for doubts about the direction the church is taking, uh, having these conversations and being able to broadcast them to others, you, you, this is going to help people more than you know, and thank you for much Thanks for, for, for being. Yes, amen. Glad to be we'll have, we will have you back soon. For all of us at the Dr. Good. Show, thank you. Uh, we'll see thank you again you. next time. 